The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whenever you're listening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Roger B. on America's Web Radio, and you're listening to Locked and Loaded. We're going to start off today jumping in with, you know, it's always funny how politicians like to dictate what you can do, what you can't do, you know, and they say, it's oh, it's for the best, it's for the, for the, the overall greater good. And they're going to tell you, you shouldn't have guns, you shouldn't be able to have too much ammo, you shouldn't be able to have certain kinds of guns. But yet, the politicians themselves decide they can have whatever you can't because they're more important than you. Whenever, I don't know when this happened, when this transition happened between public servant and celebrity. Most of these uh, politicians believe themselves to be above the common citizen. They put themselves on pedestals above common citizens. They have more rights than you. They're more important than you. They have to protect themselves better than you do because they're more important. And this is such a load of bunk. It's ridiculous that they feel this way. We fought a revolution, fought a war and a revolution to put down monarchs, patriarchs, all the kind of things, you know, to avoid being ruled over by kings and queens, we fought a revolution to gain our power, become independent, and have equality among American citizens. But yet, in Washington, there is still no equality. And the reason why I bring this up is because there are a lot of politicians in Washington who don't like you to be able to exercise your gun rights, and they will fight, they will push through laws that violate the Constitution left and right to try and prevent you from having guns that they don't think you need. But yet these same politicians will hire bodyguards and security and provide them with whatever weapons they want or need to provide safety and security for the politicians. But you and your family are not important enough. You don't need it. You're, you're not important enough to need protection. You just have to suffer like the rest of the peasants, like the peons, like all the, the lower class citizens that they believe you are. It's, and the fact is, we do this to these politicians. We put them on pedestals. We give them respect without them earning it. But anyway, the reason why I bring this up is because there's a particular story out now. That, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard of There's members of the Congress collectively known as the Squad. Now, they don't necessarily agree on everything, but one thing, you know, they do agree, defunding the police. That's one of their big uh, pushes right now because they also, you know, they, they believe that the police are too powerful. They're, you know, they have too much, too much firepower, whatever. But yet in this same stroke, when they want to cut down law enforcement, even when violent hot crime is at its highest point it's been in years, they want to cut down on police department funding. But the squad in DC has they've spent years going on about the dangers of firearms in the hands of the public, of law-abiding citizens. They don't believe you law-abiding citizens should be able to have guns. So, but yet, and they want to defund the police who will protect people who don't have guns, public people. So they basically want you to make yourself more vulnerable and make yourself less able to protect yourself. But meanwhile, as it turns out, the squad, which is, let's see, uh, Cortez, Alexandria, Occasional Cortex, and uh, 
Ayana Presley, Rashida Talib. These are probably the, there's one other one in there. I don't know who she is though, but yeah, there's like four or three or four or five of them that stand out as the squad. They are spending more than 1.2 million in private secure, in funds for their own private security. Now you might say, well, you know, but they're rich. They can afford it. No, no. This is taxpayer money that's being spent to protect these morons. They don't believe you should be able to protect yourself, but yet they will spend your money protecting themselves because they believe they are above you. They are beyond reproach. They are the shining example of all that's good in the world. But yet they don't want you to have the same rights, which oh, just burns me to no end. It's so ridiculous to say guns in the hands of citizens is a public health hazard, but yet guns in the hands of our private security is necessary because we are important, more important than you, apparently. And the fact that they get away with it and they pay it all with taxpayer funding. You know, yeah, you, I, all of us pay for their $1.2 million in private security that they want for themselves. That's just, it's insane that they get away with this and we let them. And there are no restrictions on this, apparently. The government allows these people to spend ridiculous amounts of money defending themselves. Granted, they're in the public eye and anybody in the public eye has a bigger risk than somebody who's not. But still, there should be limits on this and they should have to pay for some of this out of their own pockets. And their security guards should not be allowed to carry guns anywhere common citizens can't. They should not be allowed to carry any guns that every citizen cannot own. The fact that they get away with this kind of stuff is just ridiculous. Now, I don't know what kind of weapons they carry, but I'm assuming there are very little restrictions on what they're allowed to have to defend politicians. But they do, they can carry guns where other people cannot because they are security for government officials. So all of a sudden, all the laws, equality under the law, apparently these people no longer exists. It's ridiculous. And they think that they're in bigger danger because they're in the public eye. Well, maybe if you didn't say stupid stuff all the time, it would be really helpful. But it's, it's, it's so typical that they have this socialistic agenda where they're pushing for themselves to be put above common people. And you just can't get, I, I can't get enough of these kind of stories out there to let you know. When you go vote, don't vote for the people who would rather you be unarmed, unable to protect yourselves while they protect themselves with millions of dollars worth of security. They obviously don't think you're worth protecting. They don't believe your life is worth as much as theirs. They put themselves so far above you. Why would you vote for people who want to rule you? They're not rulers. They're barely leaders. They are representatives. They are there to represent the people who put them in office. Instead, they take on this this responsibility or this uh, this false idea that they are rulers. They rule over the country. That's just not true. Like I said, we fought a war to kick the rulers out and let the people have control over the government. Let the people decide which laws were just. Let the people decide how to protect themselves, how to give them, how to keep rights protected from the government. If you read the first 10 amendments of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, almost all of them say the government shall make no law, meaning they are not giving you rights. They are telling the government they cannot make laws to infringe on certain rights or take away certain rights or violate certain rights that are constitutionally protected. They're not giving you the rights. They're saying the rights are there, and the government should not be able to take them away. The Second Amendment clearly states 
the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But yet politicians every day, every municipality, lots of cities, different counties, all pass laws violating the Second Amendment without any problem whatsoever. They think it's their right to violate the Constitution. And it's supposed to be the law of the land, but yet so many states decide that, oh, our law enforcement can have this, but law-abiding citizens cannot. They put themselves or they have their bodyguards having things that the common citizens cannot have. And that is not equality under the law. That is the basis of our legal system, equality under the law. Don't let them do this. Vote these idiots out. They need to know they are responsible to the citizens who put them in. They represent the citizens who vote for them. And if you're some of the people who voted for these people, rethink it next time. Look at it more carefully. Do your research. Find out who is going to give the law-abiding citizens all the rights that they deserve and protect the rights that they have listed in the Bill of Rights that are not supposed to be infringed upon. But it's just, it's becoming a clash between state, local governments, and the federal government. You know, there are so many laws on the books that the state and local governments will not enforce, and so many other laws that they're pushing into law despite violating the Constitution. So it's just something to think about. I know election season isn't for another year. Actually, there may be elections this year, but not the big ones. The big ones are coming up next year. I'm sure Vic would correct me on that. There's probably some this year. But, you know, the presidential election is coming up next year, and a lot of all the all the Congress people are up for election next year. A third of the senators are up for election next year. Do your research. Find out who your representatives are. Find out where they stand on protecting the rights of law-abiding citizens. And don't let them tell you, well, there was so much crime, we have to punish the law-abiding citizens because of what the criminals did. That is not the way the law is supposed to work. You punish the criminals when they commit the crime. You do not punish law-abiding citizens for the crimes of others. You wouldn't do that with anything else. They say you had a family member who committed a crime. What if they held you responsible for that somehow? And they said, oh, well, you have a brother-in-law who committed this crime, so we're going to put you in jail as well as him. You don't do that. You just don't do that to people. You don't blame the people who didn't do it. It's ridiculous trying to lump everybody together. My favorite example of this is when a law enforcement officer is forced to shoot somebody, and they claim, oh, my God, the law enforcement officer, they, they're, they're doing the wrong thing. They're not trained well enough. They don't know what's going on. They're the problem. But then a law-abiding citizen or or a criminal commits a crime, and all of a sudden it's not the criminal's fault. No, no, no. He was a victim. He wasn't raised right. He had an issue. But it's the gun's fault. We should not let guns in anybody's hands because criminals will use them illegally. Think about it. The logic is completely elusive. It doesn't exist. They blame the gun when a criminal commits a crime, but they blame the person when a law enforcement officer is forced to use his weapon to defend innocent people or himself or his fellow officers. They blame the officer then, but they don't blame the criminal when a criminal uses a weapon to commit a crime. It's just, it's so one-sided, and the media is so complicit in spreading these lies. we got to stop this. you got to get out there and vote, and you got to look at where these people stand, what they stand for, and how they feel about the rights of everyday citizens. You can't let them put themselves above you. They're strictly representatives, nothing more. They should have no additional rights, no rights that common law-abiding citizens do not have.
And unfortunately, it tends to be the way things have been evolving. The government has more and more power. The representatives that we put in office get more and more power, more and more immunity from from things than regular citizens do, and we let them get away with it. Well, it's time to call them back and say, look, you either need to enforce the law equally across all fields or you need to not be anywhere near lawmaking or law enforcement. That's just how that's how it's got to be. We can't let these people keep getting away with, I guess, bastardizing equality of law. Equality under the law should be universal and should be treated as such all the time. If you have a right to own a weapon, you should be able to exercise that right with no restrictions at all. Now, granted, I don't want everybody to own a tank and a nuclear bomb. That would just be, that's to the point of ridiculousness. But you know what? If the local politicians can have security guards carrying certain kind of weapons, every law-abiding citizen in that area should be able to buy, purchase, and carry the same sort of weapon. There should be no disparaging difference between the type of weapons a government security officer carries and a common citizen carries. If there is, they're saying their life is more important than yours and your family's. They don't believe you should have the right to protect your family, your children, your property as much as they do because they're more important than you. Think about that for a minute. These people are putting themselves above you in importance and value. They value their lives more than they say you should value yours. So, all right, we'll just go out there and and take a look. Do the research, please. Look at these people's records. See where they stand on things. We have more information available at our fingertips than we've ever had at any point in time. Now, granted, there's also more misinformation available at our fingertips than there has ever been before. So be careful. Do the research. Look carefully. Look for reliable sources. Now, that's not always the easiest thing to do. Reliable sources are not always the easiest to find. But I also would recommend take a few minutes, read the first 10 amendments to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. Read the Bill of Rights. You should read the whole thing, but I'm saying just to start with, read the Bill of Rights. See what the government is not allowed to do, and then look and see how much they actually do anyway, despite the restrictions placed on them by the national law. No, I think I've ranted long enough about this, but you know, do 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 the research, find out who stands up for your rights as well as they could, and then go from there. Because there's no way to to get this power back once we lose it. Once you lose the equality of law, it's going to be nearly impossible to get it back. The rulers will continue to label themselves as rulers and continue to give themselves more power, more rights than you have. And as they do that, it's never going to turn back the other way. It's like everyone says, oh, we need to vote for term limits. Well, who gets to vote for that? The politicians vote for themselves. All right, we're going to be right after this, and I'm going to give you some good news. Some good news is coming up. This is Roger B. on Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. 
Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio. Or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall. And we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. I'm back, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry about that. I was just intrigued by this story I found, and I want to bring it to you right now. Now, most of the news you hear about politics and guns is not necessarily good. This is amazing. Apparently, where is this? In Mississippi... Coming up this weekend, there is a sales tax holiday on guns and ammunition for you to purchase. You know, a lot of places have back-to-school specials where all school supplies are tax-free or, you know, or computers, stuff like that can be tax-free. Well, here they do the same thing, a tax holiday for guns and ammunition. They take away the state 7% sales tax on guns and ammunition. This gives everybody a chance to purchase new guns, purchase a gun for the first time, stock up on ammunition. That's really to help taking a bite out of inflation. And it goes on, I think, for over, over the weekend. They're doing this for two days. Now, if you want a rifle, you're fine. But if you want a pair of binoculars, that's not included in the sales tax special. But still, there's enough items on here that are gun and ammunition related where you can get some really good deals in, ten- in Mississippi over the coming weekend. Which is great. I mean, so many states do this for other things. You know, usually for school programs or for, you know, sometimes some states don't have tax on drugs, things like that. But here it is for guns and ammunition. And I applaud Mississippi for doing this. Because why should, well, there's not an additional thing. It's just a sales tax. But keep in mind, all guns federally are taxed at 11% with an excise tax. So they are taxed disproportionately to other things. Well, one of the stores in Mississippi they were interviewing, Two Gun Tactical in Flowood, said this coming weekend is like their Super Bowl. They sell more stuff in the two days than they normally sell an entire month. It's amazing. It's great to get a tax break like that, a holiday tax break on guns and ammo. i got to say this is amazing. Now, there's one thing I found interesting, that if you purchase something during that time, but it's not delivered to you till later, it still qualifies for the tax-free purchase. As long as you make the purchase on paper, even if you don't take possession of it. So you can go in and place orders for whatever you want and pick it up later as long as it's paid for on that weekend and they can date the receipt, I guess, for that weekend. You get the tax-free advantage there. And this is awesome because most gun shops are independents. There are a few big box stores that carry some guns and ammunition, but I would say a majority of them tend to be more independent stores. That's where most people like to shop because the expertise level is usually a little higher than an independent store. A lot of times they're attached to a range where you can actually use the product right then and there or rent the product sometimes to try it before you buy it. That, to me, is an ideal situation for anybody who has, who doesn't shoot very much or you're looking at something new that's kind of pricey. And if that range has a rental counter where you can rent, open up the rental counter, try out a bunch of different things, always a number one choice of mine. I love getting to shoot something before I buy it. But now keep in mind, this does not exclude, it doesn't get rid of the 11% excise tax, which is a federal tax. 
Now, this is unusual because, I mean, it's in the Constitution that this is a guaranteed right, and yet they throw an 11% tax on it. It seems kind of unfair to me. Now, granted, that excise tax normally goes toward conservation, providing shooting areas for in public for people to use. So usually it goes to a good cause, but it seems odd that they're able to tax a federally given right any amount of money. You have the federal right to keep and bear arms, and yet they're, but they're going to tax you 11% on it. So there's that. It's crazy. And now, okay, here's other places that have similar Second Amendment-related tax-free holidays. Louisiana and South Carolina, and Tennessee has done this before also. They Well, for gun, gun safes and other safety devices is what Tennessee has. Not so much guns and ammo, but the other ones have guns and ammo. So that's awesome. Tennessee is really, they, I mean, uh, Mississippi really started something good here, and I hope it keeps going. This would be great. I mean, that should open up shopping for all kinds of gun products like that if you do it during a tax-free holiday. Why not take advantage of that? That would be something that I would just love to see more of. But then, of course, we have to look at the bad side of this. And to, in order to do that, we have to go to California, as usual. Land of fruits and nuts. Now, granted, the weather is fantastic there, but oh my goodness. This is going to put gun owners in a huge crater in California if they get this to pass. They are looking at a bill that's going to add a tax to all guns and ammo. And it's going to be between 11 to 13% increase in taxes just on guns and ammo. Now, could you imagine if they did that for something else? Imagine if they did it for all sporting equipment. Every time you bought tennis rackets or footballs or golf clubs, you had to pay an 11 to 13% tax on that particular item. It would be complete. It's so selective. It's so discriminating that they do this. But they feel guns are just a really secure way. Now, other things they do this on, too, tobacco, alcohol, all these things have additional taxes by most states. But here, California's, not only do you have to pay an 11% excise federal tax, but they're going to bump it another 11 to 13% as a state tax. And we'll have to see if this is going to come through, because they've tried this apparently six times in the last 10 years to tax guns and ammunition. But I think most representatives there realize that if they did this, they would put themselves in danger of losing a potential election pretty quickly, because... Despite the fact that most representatives around the big cities tend to thrive off liberal votes, most of the rest of the state is not as liberal. In fact, there's a lot more conservatism in other parts of the state than there is in uh, the urban areas of California, particularly in Los Angeles. But we will see. <coughs> we'll see how this pans out because I'd like to know. I mean... If they're able to do this and they tack on a 10 or 11% tax on guns, it's just a matter of time before that tax starts escalating every two, three, five years. It starts going up 1 or 2%. Before you know it, they're going to have a 25 to 50% tax on guns and ammunition. It'll essentially be banning guns by taxing them out of existence. And this is a constitutionally guaranteed right, and they're taxing your ability to exercise your right. Now, just take for a minute if you did this, say, on voting. Yes, you have to pay a $20, $50, $100 fee in order to vote. How upset would people be about that? How upset would you be of that if you had to pay $100 to get a voter's card? 
And it is a, and the funny thing is, there is no guaranteed right to vote in the Constitution. Don't believe me? Look into it. Look it up. Read through. It does say if there's an election held, you may not be discriminated against based on gender, sexual preference, ethnicity, anything like that. You cannot be discriminated against based on any, any of those factors. But it does not guarantee you the right to vote in any election, especially federal elections. There's no guaranteed right to vote in any federal elections. But here they're going to tax your Second Amendment right. And it just seems to me completely illegal, unfair. And I just wonder if anybody's going to come up and try and take this to court, push the, the envelope here and say, look, you cannot tax a federally guaranteed right. This is a right that we have held in the Constitution since the 1700s. You cannot tax something that's a right. Now, can you tax driving? Sure. It's a privilege, not a right. Can you tax roads? Sure. They're built by the government. They can tax it. And that's kind of funny because they say there's freedom of the press, but yet they tax the airwaves. You have to pay taxes to broadcast on airwaves, but yet the airwaves are free, but you don't have to pay it. They eliminate those taxes for a lot of other freedom of the press applies to magazines, to newspapers. They use public roads to get all those things to you. Huh. But yet over the air, you have to be taxed and have a license in order to produce a radio program, even though it's free over the air, doesn't use anything that the government owns or regulates. Well, they regulate the airways, but only because they decided they could. Now, I can understand them taxing the roads, taxing the the thoroughfares, things like that, because the government actually built them, and they should be able to tax them as they see fit. Although the tax money, of course, comes from citizens who pay these taxes, so... They're just trying to build up as much money as they can. The government's getting bigger every year. They're getting more out of control. More and more confrontation is happening between state and federal laws. And yet none of it has come to a, to a head yet. And I'm sure it will. I mean, you consider, you know, marijuana usage among certain states is now considered legal. Um, not enforcing immigration laws in certain states is now considered legal. How are we going to keep going like this if federal law and state law don't mesh up with each other, if they don't respect each other's boundaries? How is this going to, how is this going to end up? Where is this going to come to a head? How is this going to end up clashing in a way that's going to cause problems? Could you imagine right now if the DEA went into every store in the United States that sold THC products in states where it was considered legal and they busted them for violating controlled substance laws on a national level took all their money took all their products shut down all their stores all over the country legally they could do that that is within their purview that was within within their rights they can do that legally to enforce controlled substance laws they could shut down every place that sells any THC products legally or illegal in any state now granted the federal law is still there and says you can't do it but the states are ignoring the, the federal law. The feds are ignoring the federal law, and they're just letting it go, which, you know, I don't have a problem with it. If you want to do it, fine. But I'm just saying make it legal. Change the law. Make it na- nationwide. Take away the federal restriction if that's the way. If you don't want to enforce it, then take away the federal restriction. Eliminate it so you don't have to worry about it. Because right now you go from state to state. If you have something in your pocket or in your you know, your luggage, whatever, if you have something you bought in a state where it's legal and take it to a state that's illegal, all of a sudden you you become a felon. You become a criminal. 
Now, I don't know if federal enforcement agencies are still enforcing in states that have laws against it and just leaving the other states alone. I don't know how that works. I don't know how far they're going with what they allow. So in some states, even though crystal meth is a substance that's illegal in most states and violation of federal law, do they let it go in states where marijuana is legal? Do they not enforce that particular law either? Do they let all the drug laws just go by the wayside in states where they decide not to prosecute for controlled substances? I don't know. These are questions I have. I need answers. Maybe I need to get a guest in here who knows the answers to that on a legal basis. How far can they go? What does it take? Mark the shot. Oh, yeah, I can pose that question to him maybe for his show on Friday. He can discuss some of that equality of the law and uh, state and federal rights and which is supposed to be. From the way I understand it, federal law is first. Then state laws, county, city, all that follows after that. Well, it says, you know, basically in the Constitution that anything that the federals don't spell out, then it's the states. It reverts back to the states. Right. But here it is spelled out by the federal government clearly. It says a violation of Controlled Substance Act. So it is the federal government's job to enforce these laws, but yet they're not. And they're not forced, and the states are supposed to enforce those laws too, because it is spelled out in federal law that these are not supposed to be legal. You know, and then there's the immigration. You know, federal law says immigration law is this, that, or the other, and states are just ignoring it. They're not enforcing it either. And they're not assisting federal law enforcement officers when they come to enforce the law either. But most of the time the federal law, federal law enforcement officers are just not enforcing immigration law at all in any state. I had a friend who was a police officer once, and he had stopped a van load of people, all illegal, all with no proper paperwork, no driver's license for the driver. He called the federal authorities to say, can you come get these guys? They're all illegal. He goes, no, just let them go. We don't, we don't do that. We're not going to do that right now. So they're basically turning a blind eye to violation of federal immigration law. And we all know it's happening. I mean, it's been a point of contention for years. For years, since the 80s, this has been going on. And they've given, uh, you know, uh, what is amnesty policies have gone into place to allow those who are already here to stay with no previous background checks or education requirements or language requirements. Or vaccine requirements. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. If you're an illegal alien, you don't need a vaccine, I guess. Well, now I think, I think everyone's finding out that that whole thing was a huge Huge scam anyway. In fact, I just want to make it known that although I participated in the past, I am not going to be participating in the 23-24 year Wuhan virus Olympics. So when they start start that stuff up again, I will not be participating. All right, we've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. On August 8th. 2022, in violation of the Fourth Amendment, the FBI performed a most egregious search of a former president's home. The Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution provides that the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched, and the persons or things to be seized. The Fourth Amendment originally enforced the notion that each man's home is his castle, secure from unreasonable searches and seizures of property by the government. 
We must take a stand and take back our country. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And ladies and gentlemen, we are back. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Now, I have to say, this is something I get all the time, and I want to share this with you, and I'm going to expound on it a little bit. I get asked all the time, what kind of gun should I buy? And I'm like, uh, it's like asking me, what kind of car you should buy? Well, what kind of car should I buy? I go, what are you going to do with it? Same thing with the guns. What are you going to do with it? Like to, this, just this past week, I got a, a message from a friend. He goes, "Hey, I've got a friend who is looking for a good starter carry pistol and needs some advice." <laughs> so he wanted to share some information with him, and I said, "Sure, I'd be willing to help with that." But I think I'll cover that here today a little bit, also. And I guess it depends on experience level with a weapon to where I would direct somebody to start. Now I'm going to assume somebody with I want we'll say level one, no previous gun experience other than maybe you shot a BB gun as a kid or something like that, but no previous firearm experience, no previous carry experience, aside from taking classes, watching YouTube videos, things like that. I'm going to suggest I would suggest a weapon that has a manual safety on it. Now, granted, this adds an extra step. If you decide to, if this weapon has to be called into action for self-defense, but that extra step being as it, as, as it's called a safety adds a level of safety to a weapon for somebody who's not as experienced with handling weapons. It just makes it gives you an extra bit of a extra layer of protection that you don't normally have. So there are plenty of weapons with safeties. Most of them are all semi-automatic. I don't believe there's any revolver out there that has a safety. Other than don't pull the trigger unless you intend to use it. Now, granted, most revolvers have much heavier triggers on them and are less likely to have an accidental discharge or negligent discharge. So that's something to consider, too, because a lot of people I know recommend revolvers for first-time people because of ease of use. You put the bullets in, you close it, you pull the trigger. That's all there is to it. You don't have to rack it. You don't have to put magazines in. You don't have to load magazines Semi-automatics are a whole different world. Now, granted, semi-automatics offer a lot more, I guess, features, a lot more potential for getting into them a little more heavily. If you start off on level one and you start, you buy a gun or you shoot a gun a few times, you decide you need one, you purchase one, and then you start getting into it and you decide, you know, this is a hobby I like, this is something I want to get better at. And you evolve into a better shooter by taking lessons or learning tricks of the trade on your own, practicing a, a lot more than you thought you would, taking it on as a more serious hobby, then a semi-automatic is easier to evolve into. While a revolver, although they are excellent weapons, they are very accurate. They can handle very powerful cartridges much more easily than semi-autos do. They still have a level of 
practicality and limitations that you don't see in semi-autos. For instance, a revolver, you're limited to most of the time five to six shots. There are some weapons out there, revolvers, that will hold up to nine shells. I think there was a manufacturer offering a seven-shot or eight-shot 357 Magnum, which is pretty good. But, of course, reloading a revolver is a whole different can of worms to open up when you start getting into that. Basically, you dump the empty shells out and you put new ones in. While a semi-automatic is ejecting the empty shells into the air after you fire each shot, it automatically ejects the empty shell, picks up a new shell, and loads it into the chamber. With a revolver, you have your six to eight shots. When you're done, you have to stop, eject the old shells, and put new cartridges in. So, assuming you don't need more than six or eight shots, a revolver could be fine for what you need. However... If you want to have more capability, more flexibility than that, then the semi-automatic would be the way to go. Most people, even first-time buyers, tend to gravitate towards semi-automatics because it's what they see all the time. Every movie, every cop show, every video game has semi-automatic pistols. So it's what people, you know, they they recognize them more, more easily, and they are much more flexible in what they're capable of doing. But if you do this, learn how to use one before you go to the range if possible. If at all possible, see if you have somebody who owns a gun, a semi-automatic pistol. Get them to show it to you. Make sure it's unloaded. Make sure you check it. If you don't know how to check it, ask them to show you. Learn how to check a a semi-automatic weapon to make sure it's not loaded. And don't just pull the magazine out and think it's loaded because there could still be one in the chamber and you would never know. Pulling the magazine out does not unload a semi-automatic weapon. In fact, there's a couple of videos out there of some gun stores where they actually video these people bringing guns in to either get worked on, to sell, to find a holster or scabbard for. And they bring them in and say, oh, it's unloaded. I checked it. And, of course, the gun store, being responsible, has to check it themselves. And you would not believe how many times... They rack a weapon or pull the slide back, and boom, a cartridge comes out. And the owner usually seems in shock and dismay, like, oh, my God, I thought it was unloaded. I go, well, apparently you didn't check it before you walked in here like you said you did. (laughs) So just be aware of that. In fact, one of these stores has a big plastic container sitting on their counter with all the rounds they took out of weapons that were handed to them saying they were unloaded. I mean, there are shotgun shells, pistol pistol rounds, uh, rifle rounds, all in this little plastic bucket on their counter. All of these came out of guns that were supposedly unloaded. So learn how to check a semi-automatic, whatever pistol your your associate or friend or colleague has. If they're willing to let you learn, if they can show you, that would be the best. And it's also better to learn how to handle it, how to use it, how it functions outside of a range. Because when you're in a range environment, there's other shots going off. It's very distracting. You're in an unfamiliar environment. Do this in a familiar environment. I would always take people either to their home, to my home, wherever, or to a private area where we can go and you can do this without being with a bunch of people firing weapons while you're learning. Learn how to unload, learn how to load, learn how all the functions on the pistol work. If it's got a safety, a decocker, if it's got a magazine release, if it's got a slide release, learn how to work all these parts of the gun before you ever step foot into a live range. 
like I say, any good instruction is going to require some classroom time. And I know most people don't find that as much fun as going out and shooting stuff. But if you're new, you want to get that classroom time in. And hopefully whoever does it can show you in a way that will be interesting and keep you up to date on how to use this weapon. If you're a first-time user, you want to go through every function on that weapon at least a half a dozen times. You want to be able to unload it. You want to be able to load it. You want to be able to know where the slide release is, where the magazine release is. You want to know how the trigger functions because there are different types of triggers, even on semi-automatics. You have a double action, single action. You have a single action only. You have a striker fired. All these you have to learn differently. So be aware of that. And if you find somebody who can help you with this, that's the ideal situation. And if you don't, I suggest taking a class. Take a class from a local range or Find out where the local NRA instructor is and see if you can sign up for a class, whether it be private or, uh, you know, multiple people taking the class at the same time. But learn how to use the weapon outside of the range before you ever step in to take that first shot. Because if you're trying to learn while there's gunfire going off all around you, that is so distracting and it's hard to hear because you have you have your hearing protection on, you have your eye protection on, you're in an unfamiliar environment, you're not as likely to absorb as much information as you are in a more comfortable situation. So always learn first before you go to the range if at all possible. And I want to throw some something in that throw away. Uh, not stepping on your toes or what you've been saying, but I think there's one word that uh people particularly that are beginners don't understand how important it is and that's repetition 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 and oh yeah with anything you learn yeah and uh particularly with with a weapon and this is why the military is so effective is that you get lots of repetition in the military <laughs> with everything whether it's marching in a straight line or whether it's handling your weapon you get lots of repetition and and this is something that you know a, a first time shooter first time buyer of a weapon if they don't take a class and and it can't just be one class and i learned it all and i'm going home or going to the range or whatever and once they've been to the range, they need to keep going back to the range and go with somebody that's experienced. And uh, Ideal, if you have that option, by all means, take somebody with you who's experienced. And not somebody who has one gun and had it thrown in his uh, nightstand drawer for four years and hadn't touched it since then. That's not somebody who's experienced. You know, you got to have somebody who has handled them on a frequent basis or had spent a lot of time with one, like in military or law enforcement, someone who has this as an instinct rather than a, you know, a learned skill. And with any skill, whether it's basketball, tennis, shooting, they all require repetition to get good at them. Very good point. You want to have that repetition. But again, if you're practicing at home, learning the functions of your pistol, be extremely careful to make sure nothing is loaded. And if there's any doubt or if you don't remember if you checked it, you can always check it again. Check it two or three times rather than have an accidental discharge once. <laughs> repetition, repetition, check, That's right. check, and recheck. That's right. And if and, someone... You know, there's something that I've, I've always found curious. Uh... When, whenever I've been messing with a pistol and cleaning it or doing whatever I'm doing, 
even though I will check and recheck and but I don't want anybody else in the same room with me. I want to be by myself where I can focus strictly on the weapon, strictly on what I'm doing, what I intend on doing, and you know these stories and and uh my family had a good friend, the guy had been a cop and um you know, it, it's, in my opinion, it's still an open case, but uh, he had been a cop and for many years, and he was cleaning a service pistol, and his wife was sitting across the table from him, and it went off. Ooh. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, like I say, check and reach every gun. I don't care if somebody looks at a gun, checks it, then hands it to me. I'm going to check it again. It never hurts to check it more to avoid an accidental discharge even once. You can't check it too much. I mean, you know. And there are certain things that can help, like there are chamber flags and things like that that fit in the chamber, a big yellow piece of plastic that fit in the chamber to let you know it's unloaded. Things like that make a difference. But get in the habit of checking everything. I don't care if somebody stands across the counter from you, checks the gun, and then hands it to you. Take the time to look at it one more time. It won't hurt anything. It'll take an extra five to ten seconds to look at it, double check, make sure they didn't miss anything. <clears throat> Just you, you, you know, you won't insult a real oh, an person. Yeah, it's an owner by double checking. No, not at all. They're not going to say, well, I just checked it. Why are you checking? No, they won't. No. In fact, won't. I hand people, I'm going to say, I just checked it. But if you want to check it again, go ahead. You know, I prefer you look at it also. That way we both know four four eyes are better than two. You know? Plus, if it's somebody who's starting out, I want them to get in the habit of checking any gun that's handed to them. Unless they're in a live range, being handed a live weapon. They need to check a weapon every time they get it. I don't care if it comes from across the counter at a sporting goods store or it comes from the gun store. They hand you a weapon they claim was unloaded. Check it. If you don't know how, ask them to show you. And it's like everything else. Um, check your surrounding before you check your weapon. Right, because if it is loaded, you want to be careful where you're aiming it when you unload it. You know that's 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 a that's capable too. That's something you want to be careful of. That's the four rules of gun safety. You know, treat every gun as if it's loaded. Don't aim at anything you don't intend to shoot. Keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to fire a gun, and and don't point your gun at anything you don't intend to destroy. Yeah, I mean, there's four basic rules. Follow those always. And granted, like I say, if you learn, if you don't know how to check a weapon, get somebody to show you. Most people are more than willing to teach you. Most experienced gun owners are more than willing to teach people who don't know if you have a desire to learn for a good cause. If you want to learn for yourself, most of these people will take you. They'll show you what to do. Now, ideally, there are some people out there who are very arrogant and think they know it all, and they will try and show you shortcuts and things like that. Try and avoid doing anything like that. There are no shortcuts with gun safety. If you have an accident with a tennis racket, you're not likely to kill anybody. You have an accident with a rifle, you're much more likely to cause damage or kill somebody. You know, there are, there are things where you can check twice and things you don't. You know, that's going to make a huge difference. But just be aware. And also, it helps you learn. 
So that way, if you're ever in a situation where there's a gun around and you don't know if it's loaded or not, you may be the one they turn to to say, hey, can you know how to check this? And if you know, all that much better for you. You have a skill set that you'll be able to use from then on without any issue of anybody questioning anything. And if they do question you, be aware of them because they are teaching bad habits. It never hurts to check a gun an extra time. Never, ever, ever. And I can't tell you how many times people fired a gun and said, oh, I didn't know it was loaded. That's an excuse we've been hearing, you know, since they developed cartridges for for guns. You know, I didn't know it was loaded. Yeah, well, you need to learn to check. You know, they, they, there's another, in my opinion, another side to that coin. And that is, depending on where you are, be it a rifle range or any place. Oh, let me show you my new pistol. You know, and like a guy goes in and brings out his new pistol or whatever. It's also your responsibility to say, hey, don't blind that damn thing at me. Or, right, right. Oh, what, careful. What you're doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And even if, oh, it's not loaded, I go, show me. Yeah. Always ask them to show you. If they're not willing to. Point it over there. Don't point yeah. it at me. Right, right, right. Well, always be aware of where your muzzle's pointing. That's one of the four basic rules of gun safety. But what I'm saying is it's, it's also the, not only the owner of that weapon. Right. But it's the person he's showing it to to make sure that he's, he or she's following. Right. Granted. Now, if the, if the person who's showing it to is a novice, they don't know any better, learn to ask. It never hurts to ask somebody to show you if the gun's loaded or not. That's what I'm saying. Don't rely on somebody else. Even if they're the supposed expert and you don't know anything, just get them to show you. If they're willing to teach you correctly, they'll show you if you ask. If they hesitate to show you when they ask, you need to find somebody else to teach you, period. I don't care who it is. Or you need to get out of that person. Yeah. Your friend's house. Get out of that room. Say, look, I think I need to go to somebody who's a professional or just say, oh, I don't have time today. I just got a call. Get yourself out of that situation. But if you ask them and they show you right away, and then if they're really good, they will make you check it again. They will let you learn how to check it right then and there. Pull back on here. Hold your hand here. Now look inside there. Do you see anything in there? Boom. There you go. You just learn how to check a weapon at any decent Gun owner will be able to do this and will not take offense to you asking. And then there's the other side of the coin either. Also, this is an interesting experience. I had a friend of mine who was sighting in his rifle the day before, went out deer hunting the next morning, saw the deer at the bottom of his deer stand, leveled the rifle, pulled the trigger, snap. He had an empty shell in his, in his chamber from the day before. <laughs> I bet that scared the hell out of the deer. Maybe. Well, he said the deer looked right at him, and he's like, oh, boy. And he, it was in a lever-action weapon, so he had to cycle it in order to get a new cartridge in there because he had left an empty cartridge in the chamber. Yeah. You know, that reminds <laughs> me of something. This has this is nothing to do with what we're talking about per se, but I always... I have a 3030 uh, that I love. Right, lever action. And, um, you know, every, you, you watch TV and the, what's the first thing any of the, any of the heroes or cowboys do with the lever action? They flip that lever down and back up. Yeah. And what, and what, 
they don't understand or somebody doesn't understand is every time you do that, if there's a, a shell in the chamber, You're throwing it in the dirt. It's in the dirt. <laughs> yeah. I, you notice that a lot in a lot of movies. They'll rack a pistol. It's like, I mean, it wasn't racked this whole time and you're pointing at somebody, threatening them with an unloaded gun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that happens a lot of times. I see that a lot. It's like every time before they shoot, they have to rack the pistol. It's like, you're just throwing a round of ammo out if it was loaded in the first place. That's another thing. Somebody asked me, well, I don't want to carry it loaded. It's like, you can do that, but, you know, you're putting yourself at a big disadvantage if you ever were to need the gun to be available, accessible, and ready to fire. You know, and I know a lot of people don't feel comfortable carrying with one in the chamber, but you give yourself a little bit of a disadvantage if it ever comes to you actually needing it in an emergency situation. But now there are ways you can train around that. I know there was somebody who was, uh, well, let's just call him, uh, he was a professional soldier for hire. He worked with a bunch of militaries. He did training with some of the militaries and things like that. And uh, there was one military he worked for where they did not allow their soldiers to carry a chambered weapon, chambered pistol. So what they practiced was drawing, racking, and firing all in one smooth motion. Now, granted, if you train for it, you may lose... A tiny bit of time, but if you train for it enough, it won't be enough time to make too much of a difference. You draw the weapon, rack it, and fire it at the same time. And I was watching this guy do drills at the range I was working at at the time. And I asked him, I go, is that something you normally carry a weapon on? He goes, well, I do military training or training for a lot of militaries, and a lot of times they don't allow anybody to have a chambered pistol. You have to have it loaded, magged, no, not one in the chamber. So he was practicing drawing and racking and firing all in one motion. And it was an interesting drill he did, and he was getting better and better at it. He was actually very fast. So that's something you have to consider, too, is how you're going to carry it. But if you're going to carry it like that, train for that scenario. And it depends on how difficult it is to rack it. Right. And, you know, again, training. Some Learn. weapons are, have the, are a lot easier to rack. Right. Like, the, to me, the very small weapons, pocket pistols, they're a lot harder for me to get my hands on and be able to rack. You know, the larger one, easier to hold, easier to handle, easier to rack. But still, I mean, that's something, if you're going to carry like that, train the way you fight. If you're going to carry a gun like that, train to carry it like that. And be prepared to be able to load it quickly and efficiently and draw it at the same time. So that's something you have to learn. I mean, learn every option you can, of course, because if you have a dead, a dud bullet, a dud cartridge in your gun, you pull that trigger, it goes snap, and you don't get to fire that first time, how fast would you be able to instinctually rack that pistol again and get a new round in there? That's something you should train for, and I've done it before. Had an instructor who used to put a a dud round in your magazine, and when you hit that dud round, you had to rack it and get back on target as fast as you could. You know, and it was really good training because the first thing most people do is they stop and they look at the gun like it didn't go off. Something's wrong, you know, (laughs) and, you know, when you're standing in the range, that's fine because you want to be careful. But if you're in the middle of a gunfight, you don't want to stop and look at your gun and try and figure out what's going on. You want to rack it again, get it up and running as fast as you possibly can. But that that's like I say, and that's what happens most of the time, though, unless you're training for that. You won't be able to handle that if it were to happen. Now, granted, most modern ammunition is extremely reliable and misfires are extremely rare. 
So that kind of training should probably be way down on your list because it's not very likely to happen. But if it does and you want to be prepared for it, hey, one more thing to train for. But anyway, like I say, so go in, get whatever experience you need. Semi-automatics are probably the hardest pistols to use as far as learning all the different functions, all the different switches and levers and things attached to them. All the revolvers, fairly simple. Put the bullets in the big holes in the cylinder, slide the cylinder closed, pull the trigger. Well, the one other step there, you want to rotate that cylinder till it locks into place. But that's fairly simple. Much easier, much more simple to get a revolver up and running than it is a semi-automatic weapon. But a semi-automatic weapon is usually a little thinner than a revolver, a little smaller. It can be lighter. It can have a variety of different chamberings that a revolver doesn't have. And a revolver has no safety other than your finger. So on any gun you carry, though, you want to be able to have a holster that covers the trigger. I can't stress that enough. There are so many people who just stick a gun in their belt or they put it in a really flimsy holster, like a little thin, almost a cloth holster that doesn't have any structure to it. And all it would take is a pen or a key or something hitting that trigger and making it go off. You don't want that to happen. Even if it's got a safety on it, safety will help prevent that in some cases. But if it doesn't have a safety, you need to have a holster that covers the trigger. Don't carry a gun without a holster. Mr. Dillon, that, that weapon might go off in your pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you'll end up with a new nickname. <laughs> and it won't be Richard. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that's just... The equipment you need to carry a gun is a whole nother story. There are belts and holsters and magazine... Uh, magazine pouches, m- magazine holsters, all that stuff has to be considered when you carry. You want to carry inside the waistband, outside the waistband, carry under your arm, you know, carry in the small of your back. There's a million different places to carry the weapon, and you have to find the one that's most suitable to you, what you like. And depending on what your situation is during the day, are you sitting all day? Are you standing all day? Are you driving all day? All those factors have to come into play when you decide how you're going to carry your weapon. All right, well, like I say, get the training if possible. Get somebody to show you and always learn outside the range first how to operate the weapon before you go in the range. All right, I am Roger B. This has been Locked and Loaded, and you've been listening to America's Web Radio. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.